moving into new beginnings, which actually is something that I want to talk about tonight, is, is some new beginnings. It's a new year, right? Maybe. We're not quite sure. We're still waiting to see what happened. You know, I was at a meeting earlier today of, of several uh, ministries and churches and pastors, and somebody there said, yeah, it's 2022, T-O-O. 2022 is like, you know, it's still going on. Hey, where it happened? We, we're, st- you know, somebody else said this is the 25th month of 2020. You know, it just hadn't stopped. It just keeps going. And we're like, what in the world is going on? How are we going to get through this? And all that stuff. Cause there's just a lot of stuff taking place, whether it's COVID or politics or whatever. You know, everybody just seems to be losing their minds right now. And, and the world is just in turmoil. So as you move into this new year, you know, it's easy just to miss the opportunity to move forward because we feel like we're stuck. We feel like we're just in the mud and we can't, can't seem to move forward, you know, whether it's because of COVID or, or because of restrictions or politics, whatever. We're just kind of like stuck. We're just waiting for something to happen as as we were getting closer to 22, you know, one of the things the Lord started putting on my heart was that, you know, it's, it's starting to get to a point, at least for me personally, and I think this, this applies across the board. I've had several conversations over the last few days with people, uh, and they, it does resonate with them that, you know, when we get into a new year, Especially right now, it's easy just to look at it. Oh, it's just, you know, we're just literally flipping a page on a calendar or just this, it's another day. It really doesn't really matter. Well, it actually does matter. You know, pastor's going to start Genesis next week. And in the book of Genesis, in chapter one, we read that God is the one who created all, all things. And he created the sun, the moon, the stars for times and seasons. So sometimes we, I think we look at the calendar and we, we don't realize the divine ordination of times and seasons. God has placed those things in there on purpose. So the turning of a calendar, the turning of a year is a divinely ordained process. So we may think, well, you know, today is no different than last week. You know, everything seems the same. No, there is something different. And as we enter into 22, you know, one of the things the Lord start putting on my heart is, you know, it's time to turn the page on some things. It's time to turn the page, not just corporately, but personally. And as we moved into 22 on that first day of the year, January 1st, uh, I, I used the Bible app on my, on my phone for a one-year reading plan. I, I've been doing a one-year reading plan for, oh my gosh, uh, I don't know, five, six, seven years uh, and I, I highly recommend that. If you've never done a one-year reading plan, start today. It's like, what, the fifth? Start today, okay? Just start a one-year reading plan. In my opinion, a one-year reading plan is the minimum amount of word you need every day to continuously grow in the Lord. And we're going to talk a little bit about that tonight. But I've been doing that for years. So, of course, January 1, I started a new plan. But the verse of the day for that day in the version or the Bible app was from Isaiah chapter 43. Now, this is a very familiar passage. You probably heard this verse before, or these two verses, it's verses 18 and 19. You probably heard them before. But in the context of what the Lord was talking to me about as far as turning a page and moving forward, these verses really jumped out at me. And this is, this is out of the... Uh, ESV, the English Standard Version. So listen to this real quick. And yeah, you'll see it up here. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. So when I read that, I thought, wow, that, man, that really lines up with what the Lord had been talking to me about for just, you know, a few weeks leading up to the new year. And that's what I want to talk about tonight is the context of this verse in 
the aspect of turning the page. So I just kind of want to just walk through these two verses and the different aspects of them. That first part, remember not the former things. I don't know all of us right now would like to not remember anything prior to 21 or prior to 22. Uh, as far as COVID, can we just forget all that stuff? Forget COVID, forget the politics, all this stuff. Let's just not remember the former things. Now it's not a, let's not remember in the sense of it didn't happen or we, we are not aware of what had happened. This is an aspect of remember not the former things in the aspect of don't allow it to have influence in your present or your future. It's not a matter of forgetting. It's like, I, you can't forget, but you can reduce the influence it has on your life. So on a corporate level, on the grand scale, one of the things I think the Lord is really saying to us, and I know he's saying to me, is, okay, yeah, you know, last two years, we've had a lot of impact by a lot of negative things. It's time to turn the page on that, though. It's time to turn the page and not allow those things to have the influence they've had on us over the last two years. Now, we, we can't change the, the context of COVID and all that's going on, the variants, all that other stuff. Those things are out of our control to a degree. But what we can do is change the impact they have on us every day. We can change the impact of the political stuff going on in our lives every day. Because boy, does that want to impact us on a daily basis. But I want to take a step beyond just the big stuff like that. Because it's easy to get focused on that because that's demanding our attention right now. There's something I want to look at as far as remembering not the former things on more of a personal basis. Because as impactful as the last couple years have been, I would venture to guess that each and every one of us has former things in our lives that are personal that have had a lot more impact in our lives for a lot longer than COVID has been around. Because I know for me, the Lord has been speaking to me that saying, hey, you know what? There's some things there's some old thinking patterns. There's some old experiences. There's some old things that have run through your mind for many years that still have influence over you. And it's time to turn that page. It's time to stop allowing them to have the negative influence they've had for all these years. They are former things that need to remain former, no longer present. And too often in our lives... Things that are former, the things in the past, we allow them to become a prophet of our present and or future. Because those things speak to us. And they have influence over us to the degree we allow them to have influence over us. Let me give you an example of what, what that means as far as things that exist having influence over us, but having the ability to reduce that influence uh, many of you know, uh, I was a police officer here in Fort Worth for 10 years. When I first became a police officer, you know, went through my field training, all that stuff, and I finally got what we call cut loose, meaning I was officially a full-fledged police officer. I didn't have to ride with a training officer. I could get in the police car all by myself, which, of course, is what every rookie wants. I want to be in that cop car all by myself, go out, drive fast, eat free, all that stuff. But... When I got in that car the very first time by myself, you know, the first person I wanted to sit in that car with me, my training officer, because wait a minute, how I am by myself, it's all up to me. And, you know, if something goes south, yikes. I mean, I've got the radio, but you know, it'd be really nice to have that training officer with me now. I don't know what I was thinking. I wanted to be by myself and now I'm by myself. I want my guy back. But I remember the very first traffic stop I made as a police officer. Now, in the academy, one of the things they teach us in the in the academy is all the things that can go wrong in a traffic stop. Uh, there's a million videos they show us of traffic stops going south. So all that stuff's running through my head as I'm, you know, pulling this car over for no turn signal or whatever it is. I don't, I don't remember. But I remember as I got out of my car to walk up to this car, I was absolutely petrified. 
I mean, every scenario is running through my head. You know, this is Osama bin Laden. He's going to jump out of the car and blow me to smithereens. Or some guy's going to jump out with an AK-47 and start mowing me down. Whatever, you know. And, you know, there I am. And I'm literally having to force one foot in front of the other to get up to the driver's door on that car. And lo and behold, it's just, you know, some little old lady that forgot to use a turn signal. But the the influence of fear over me was very, very great. And I had to intentionally force myself to overcome that fear. Ten years later, just before I left the police department when I made a traffic stop, yeah, that fear was there, but its influence was greatly diminished because I had ten years of experience. And in our lives, there's things that have influence over us from our past. There are former things that have that type of influence over us. And they're different for all of us. What God wants to do is to get us to a point where that influence is greatly diminished. Where those things no longer dictate our attitude and our actions. Because when they dictate our attitude and our actions, that's when they become the prophet of our future. Because we're acting based on these things being true in the present that were maybe true in the past, but really don't exist in the present. You know, in the Old Testament, Israel was split into two kingdoms, a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. Israel was the northern, Judah was the southern Israel had a string of bad kings. They never had a good king. But Judah kind of had this back and forth of a good king, bad king, good king, bad king. And there would be good kings that would come in that said that, you know, this this king was faithful to the Lord and served the Lord. But the high places were not removed. Now, the high places were, were high up in the mountains where they would offer sacrifices to other gods. And oftentimes in our lives, we've, we've committed ourselves to the Lord. We say, you know what? I serve Jesus. I want to, I want to live for Him. I want to honor the Lord. But we've got these high places, if you will, that still have influence on our actions and attitudes. And the Lord wants us to tear down those high places. The former things that influence us today as if they're still real, but they're not. They're just here. They're just in our head. They don't exist anymore. Let me give you a great example. When I was in high school, I was bullied a lot. I hated high school. I couldn't wait for high school to be over. For four years, man, I was just brutal. I developed a defense mechanism because of all the bullying. I became very introverted. You know, it's funny. My mother now lives with me and my wife and, you know, she's here on Sunday sometimes, and she'll see me up here, you know, do a tithe and offering. She's like, who is that? That is not the son I raised, because the son I raised was so quiet, he wouldn't say a word to anybody, because back then I was so introverted, I, I withdrew from everybody, because I was bullied so much. That was my defense mechanism. Well, not long ago, the Lord started speaking to me about those experiences. And he said, you know, you don't realize you're doing something in new social situations or when you meet new people or you're around a group of people that you don't know. He said, here's what you're doing. You're allowing those experiences in the past to dictate how you interact in the present. Like, "Uh, what? What do you mean? He said, you developed... This mindset, because of all the bullying, that you just assume everybody you meet is a bully. So you respond to them as if they're a bully because you're afraid that they're going to respond to you like a bully. But the problem is they don't respond to you like a bully because they're not, but yet you're still treating them as if they are. I thought, wow. Do I really do that? And so I had to really start thinking like, wow, am I really doing that? And the answer obviously is yes, because the Lord's the one telling me that I'm doing it. 
So I thought, wow, why am I doing that? And it's because, again, I have this high place. I had this old experience that created this defense mechanism and I projected that on everybody I knew, knew that I met or that I was around. I thought, wow, boy, that is, that's like an idol because now I'm serving the influence of this idol rather than the influence of God. So I had to, okay, Lord, help me turn the page on that. Help me to tear that down. Now, that's going to be a process, and I'm working through that. You know, I have to be very self-aware, very conscious when I get into a new situation. And, man, I find myself immediately recognizing that my mind just shifts into that mode. I'm like, wow, I had no idea that this was happening. But that is a former thing that the Lord wants me to forget. Now, I'll never forget that I was bullied because it just, there was an experience that happened to me. But I need to forget in the way that it no longer influences me in the present. Because the more I allow it to influence me in the present, the more people are going to respond to my actions to them in a way that makes me feel that, you know what, I'm right, they're really a bully. But the problem is they're not a bully. They're just responding to me, responding to them like they're a bully. And it's the self Fulfilling prophecy in my head that is a lie that I'm believing as if it's the truth. Remember not the former things. So I don't know what things that uh, exist in your life that are former things that still influence you today. Only that you know that or the Lord knows that. Like it was something I didn't even realize. It took God revealing it to me. But there are former things that the Lord wants to tear down in your life. That he no longer wants to have influence over you. Because he wants to do a new thing. He wants to do a new thing in your life. And that new thing is both corporate and personal. The Lord wants to do a new thing in the church right now. He, the last couple years... The Lord has disrupted or allowed the church to be disrupted in a way that it hasn't been disrupted in over a generation. God has allowed that to happen. And when God allows things like that, like that to happen, it's not for defeat, it's for revelation. There's been a lot of things the Lord has revealed in these last two years to people who are in the church, to leaders who are in the church. The vast majority of churches in this country right now, half their members have disappeared. Half, half the membership has just gone out the door. And for whatever reason, they're either not coming back. Now, there's some, obviously, that are still dealing with issues as far as medical or whatever that are watching online, and that's, that's completely understandable. But there's a whole section of people that, just evaporated. <laughs> they just disappeared. And nobody knows where they went. They didn't just go to another church. They just disappeared. And they're gone. And the Lord's saying, hey, what, you know, maybe your expectation of success in the church wasn't as successful as you thought. Now that's on a corporate level. But there's also an aspect of wanting to do a new thing on a personal level. See, on the personal side, God is getting the church ready for a new move. There's no doubt in my mind that there is a new move of God yet to come. And it's going to be, in my opinion, this is just my opinion, take it for what it's worth. I believe it's going to be the greatest move we've ever seen in the history of the church. But in order to do that, God has to prepare his people for that. Because right now, as we've seen over the last couple of years, the church is on a little bit of shaky ground here because this disruption has become a major disruption in the church. So we need to shore up our foundation in order to bring in a new wave of, uh, of awakening and revival. But in order to do that, the Lord needs to do a new thing. 
But he needs to do a new thing in us first. Because the church is not a building, okay? The church is not some 501c3 organization. It's you and me. The word in Greek is ekklesia, the called out ones. We have been called out of this world into the marvelous light of our God to be ambassadors for the kingdom. That's what the church is. It's you and me. So in order for God to do a new thing in the church, he has to do a new thing in us. So what's that new thing the Lord wants to do in you? Part of it is he wants to turn the page on the old thing. But God is not in the, in the habit of just removing. He's in the habit of replacing. He wants to move out something so he can move in something new. What is that new thing he wants to do in you? But it's not just for you. It's something he wants to do in you to do through you for the mission of advancing the kingdom. So I think sometimes, especially in the Western church, when, when I say the Western church, what I'm talking about is America and you know the very developed nations. We get into this mindset that God's blessing is all about me being comfortable. It's all about me being successful. It's all about me whatever. God's blessing on my life is not for me in the sense of me. It's for me to be prepared for the mission. It's all about the kingdom. It's all about advancing the kingdom through the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not about what do I get. It's about what do I get to be involved in. You see, as a police officer, one of the things that I understood and all the, uh, my brothers and sisters in blue understand is that when we put on that uniform, we put on that badge and we've got that patch on our shoulder, it's not for us. You know, I joked earlier I could drive fast and go eat free, right? It's not why I became a cop. It's not why anybody becomes a cop. If you did become a cop that way, before that, you're not going to be a cop for very long. The goal of becoming a police officer is to fight crime and suppress evil. That's what we want to do. You know, it's like a dog uh, going after a bone. You know, a dog loves to chase, you know. And as a police officer, we love to chase. We love to go and fight crime and suppress evil. Go protect the innocent. We have a mission. And we know what that mission is. And we're willing to put aside anything and everything for the sake of the mission. If I was, let's say I'm at a restaurant on my break and somebody, one of my other fellow brothers and sisters in blue gets on the radio, starts screaming because everything's falling apart. They're in a shootout. They're in a chase. Something's going on. I'm telling you right now, that plate is going to be spinning as I go running out the door to find out where they are to go engage in the mission. Because my goal is not to eat. My goal is not to have everybody look at me. Ooh, there's a cop. You know, I get to sign autographs. It has nothing to do with that. It's all of a sudden, hey, there's a mission. Let's go. And it doesn't matter what the sacrifice is. See, as a police officer, we all, we know that there could be a day that we don't come back. We know there's a day where we might end up in the hospital protecting somebody else. But that sacrifice is worth the mission. And for us, as Christians, of all people on the planet, we should have that understanding that any sacrifice is worth the mission of the kingdom. Because no matter what happens to us, we win. We lay down our lives, we win. We stand up living, we win. Whatever the sacrifice is, we win. There's no way to lose. Unless we shrink back and we want to do it for ourselves. Unless we're more interested in our comfort than we are in the mission. 
And unfortunately in the church, I think the last few years, we've had a lot of these prayer movements around politics or around COVID or whatever. And I fear sometimes that we're praying more for our comfort than we are for the mission. We're praying more that God make us comfortable again. We want the political landscape to change because I'm just not comfortable with who's in office. Or I'm not comfortable with the policies or with this whole COVID thing. I'm just not comfortable. Lord, make me comfortable again. God's not interested in our comfort. He's interested in our character so we can go out and fulfill the mission. Now, I'm not saying God isn't a comforter. That's not what I'm saying. But he's not interested now in our Western American style comfort. He didn't care about that. Even Jesus himself suffered and died for the mission. That's how important it is. So the new thing that God wants to do in us is prepare us for the mission. Because there's another great move yet to come. And he needs a church that is on mission that is prepared for mission and that's willing to sacrifice for that mission. We see that in every great move throughout history of the Lord, in the great awakenings, in the, in the great move of the, the Pentecostal movement over the last hundred years. There's been more martyrs in the last hundred years than in the history of the entire church because the mission is moving forward and it's gaining momentum. I know sometimes in this, in, in the church in America, we get so laser focused on what's happening here, we miss out what's happening in the rest of the world. And we forget that the kingdom's bigger than America. Okay, the kingdom involves the entire world. And there is all kinds of stuff taking place in other countries. Right now the church in America is in decline, but the church in some of these other countries that are under the worst persecution, it is growing like wildfire. And we don't see that. And we miss that. And we miss the blessing of being on mission. Because when I would run out to help my brother or sister in blue, and we would go out, we would fight crime, suppress evil, we would take care of the situation. The joy that we had in that victory is irreplaceable. And it didn't matter what the sacrifice was. It says of Jesus that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. The joy was nothing to compare, or the sacrifice was nothing to compare to the joy. Any sacrifice was worth that joy. And it's the same thing for us. For the joy that's set before us, which is the advancement of the kingdom, people's lives being healed, saved, and delivered in Jesus' name, right in front of us, there's no replacing that joy. And it's worth any sacrifice we can make. So the Lord wants to do that new thing in you. Do you not perceive it? Well, here's the thing about perceiving it. That requires revelation. I can't perceive that on my own. I don't have that ability. Paul tells us in in Corinthians that the natural man cannot understand the things of the spirit for they are foolishness to him. And we are all natural men and women in the sense of in and of ourselves, we have no ability to understand things of the spirit. The only way we understand those things is through revelation of the Holy Spirit. That's it. I don't care how smart you are. You can have the highest IQ in the world. You can be president of Mensa. You're not smart enough to understand anything spiritual in the word or otherwise. It has to be revealed to us by his spirit. You know, again, Paul says in Corinthians that no eye has seen, no ear has heard what God has prepared for those who love him. Now, a lot of times we stop right there, but that's not the end of the chapter. There's another verse. That says, for God has revealed those things by his spirit. That's how we learn these things. That's how we discover through revelation of the Holy Spirit. That's how I all of a sudden realized I had a high place in my life. Through revelation of the Holy Spirit. I wasn't smart enough to figure that out on my own. 
But God loved me enough to reveal that to me because he saw it was a detriment, first of all, in my life and to me fulfilling the mission of the kingdom. So we have to have that revelation. But that revelation is contingent upon a couple things. Number one is contingent upon you having a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you don't have the Holy Spirit within you, and thus you cannot receive revelation. The first revelation you need to receive is to have the blinders removed from your eyes to see the glorious light of Jesus Christ in the gospel. That's what evangelism is all about. Evangelism is not an intellectual epiphany. It's a spiritual awakening. And it requires the Lord to remove those blinders from your eyes to see the truth of Jesus Christ and who he is in order to accept that gift of salvation and to say, yes, I want to give up my life for Jesus. You know, a lot of times we we turn the gospel into just a heaven or hell issue. It's so much bigger than heaven or hell. Is heaven and hell involved? Absolutely. But there's so much more. The gospel's not just about tomorrow. It's about today. And what the Lord wants to do in our lives today in order to be on mission tomorrow. The gospel calls us to forsake everything. For the sake of Jesus and the kingdom. We have a hard time doing that in America. We have a really hard time doing that in America. Because we have so much stuff. We have so much opportunity. We have so many things that we can do. There are so many things that draw our attention away. And if you go to some third world country and say, you know what? Jesus wants to deliver you from all of this. They're like, oh, thank you, Jesus. Absolutely. I will gladly give my life to be delivered from this mess. You tell that somebody in America, like, well, you know, I don't know. I just, mm, I'm really this close to the American dream. I don't know if I want to give that up. Like that close to a promotion, man. I don't know if I want to give up my job. I don't know if I want to give up this fun life I'm having and go sacrifice my life for the kingdom. What's the call of the gospel? More people walked away from Jesus' ministry than, than most churches have on a Sunday morning. Yet Jesus never, never wavered on the cost of discipleship. He who is not willing to give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. This requires revelation. This requires God revealing to us the things that we need to let go of. In order to receive revelation, number one, we need to have that gospel active in our lives. We need to bow before Jesus and say, hey, I, I accept that free gift of salvation, but not only do I accept that, I give you my life. You gave your life for me, I'm going to give my life for you. Then, we need to abide. We need to stay very close to Jesus. If you abide in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And here's, here's the thing that most Christians get tripped up on, is the abiding part. Yeah, we go to church on Sunday, but beyond that, you know, I'm not sure if Jesus has any other influence the rest of the week. I'm here on Sunday, you know, but Monday I got to go to work and I got to do the key, you know, stuff with the kids and I'll, whew, I don't know what happened to Jesus. And this is the problem with the, with the pandemic. When churches were shut down, people lost their connection to Jesus because the only connection they had was the hour on Sunday morning. I had so many conversations with people that said, man, I'm just, I'm losing it because I don't have Sunday morning or Wednesday night. Now, there's nothing wrong with Sunday morning or Wednesday night, but if that is the foundation of your relationship with Jesus, there is something wrong because your relationship with Jesus does not revolve around one or two hours a week. 
it revolves around a relationship that should be every day of the week. If we are going to experience transformation, we've got to be in relationship with Jesus on a consistent basis. That means we need to be in his word consistently. This is why I said earlier, in my opinion, everybody needs to be on a one-year reading plan. Because a one-year reading plan gets you in the Word every day, or at least consistently throughout the week. If you're not consistently in the Word, there is no way you can grow as a Christian. You know, there's a, there's a thing that's said about resumes. You know, when people fill out a resume, they say, hey, you know what, uh, I've got 10 years of experience. But the reality is sometimes they've actually got two years of experience They've just repeated that second year another eight times. And this is true about Christians. You know, for the first year or two, we grow and we get so excited, and then we just kind of level off. And I may have been a Christian for 20 years, but in reality, I've just kind of repeated that third year over and over again for another 17. And then we're wondering, why is all this stuff still hanging around in my life? Why is God not, God not revealing these former things that I need to forget? Well, it's because we're hanging around in year three and we're actually somewhere in the neighborhood of 17 and God's saying, well, if you let go of year three and start moving to year four, you'll start getting some revelation. You'll start seeing some transformation. But that requires abiding. The number one reason, number one aspect of abiding is being in the word of God on a consistent basis. Because as you get in the word, it gets in you. My absolute favorite verse in the entire Bible is Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living and active. It's like spiritual medicine. As it gets in you, it starts transforming you. It's living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing between soul and spirit, joint and marrow, and is a revealer or a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. One of the reasons that the Lord revealed to me this area that needed to change is because the word of God got in me and started revealing to me the thoughts and intents of my heart and that they were off. He didn't reveal it to me to condemn me. He revealed it to me to deliver me. And too often in our lives, when we get in the word, it starts revealing stuff. We're like, whoa, whoa, I don't want any part of that. And we back off because we're afraid of what it's revealing. Because we don't understand the identity we've been given in the gospel. We just want to go to heaven one day. Well, God wants to transform us today to be kingdom agents, to be warriors in the battle, advancing the kingdom. In order to do that, he needs to transform us. In order to transform us, he needs to reveal some stuff. Because he wants to deliver us from that stuff. But in order to be delivered, we have to allow God to reveal it. That's why Paul says in, in Romans, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When God reveals these things, he's not revealing them to condemn you. He's revealing them to deliver you. And if we don't understand that, and we're drawing our identity, not from the gospel, but from our performance, which is what most of us do, we think it's a commentary on our worth. But it's not. The commentary on our worth is the gospel that says we've been made righteous because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And because we are righteous in his sight, we are free from any condemnation and we're free from any commentary of any revelation on our worth. Because the number one lie we all believe is that I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy. And the longer I believe that, the deeper I believe that, the more I'm going to resist revelation of areas that I need to be transformed in because we believe it validates the false lie that I believe that I'm just not good enough. 
wow, you know what? I'm really not good enough. Look, I, I, I can't even interact with people without being a, a jerk. So, you know what? I'm really not good enough. So, I might as well just quit. And that's exactly what the enemy wants us to do. Because as a Christian, the enemy has no power over us other than deception. And boy, is he good at that. And the number one way he deceives us is through lies. It's right here. It's in our own head. Believing those lies. So the revelation is so important. You got to put yourself in a position to hear from the Lord on a consistent basis. The number one way you hear from the Lord is being in the word. So I encourage every single one of you, get in the word every day. If you're not on a one-year reading plan, start it today. When you get home, use the Bible app. Go get a Bible. That's a one-year Bible. Something. Go do it online. Something. Put yourself in a position to hear from the Lord. And don't be afraid of the answer. Don't be afraid of the answer. You know, if if you've ever been a guest in somebody's house, you know, you, you hang out in the guest areas You know, you don't go rummaging through the closets or opening the medicine cabinets. You hang out in the guest areas. Well, Jesus is a terrible house guest. Because the second you invite him in, he's going straight for the non-guest areas. He's going to start opening drawers and opening closets and opening the medicine cabinets, going into the garage and opening the boxes. We're like, whoa, wait a minute. I didn't know. No, I didn't sign up for this. Jesus, I want you to hang out in the living room. Just stay there and we'll all be happy. You know, a lot of times we ask the Lord to open a door and the very door that God wants to open is the one we're hindering him from opening. Don't open that door. I'm afraid of what's in there. The problem is what's in there has no power over you other than fear. The only thing that's keeping you from opening the door is the fear, not what's actually in there. Because the second Jesus opens that door, he's gonna reveal to you It has no power. And the very door we want opened is the door sometimes that we're hindering Jesus from opening. And that comes through revelation. And in order for God to do a new thing, we've got to perceive it. It has to be revealed. So put yourself in a position to allow the Lord to open some doors. And then finally it says that he will make a way He will make a way. I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. You know, we could easily say COVID is this weird wilderness. We're all wandering in. We're like, what in the world is going on? Or it's this desert that we're just, you know, it's like the Israelites going around the mountain for 40 years. What in the world? We've got to go another year of COVID. Here we go. Round and round she goes where she stops. Nobody knows. How do we get out of this thing? God will make a way. He already has. It's not an issue of, is there a way? The issue is, am I willing to get in the way? The right way, not the wrong way. Am I willing to get in the way? Jesus said, narrow is the way and difficult is the path. That leads to life. But wide is the way. And easy is the road. That leads to destruction. If your life is difficult. In the sense that. God is constantly. Bringing stuff up. And putting you through hard things. You know sometimes we, we want to. Rebuke the enemy for the hard stuff in our lives. But sometimes it's the Lord. He's preparing us. There's a pattern in the Bible. If you look at Joseph, you look at Moses, you look at David and others, they went through really difficult times for years before God released them into their purpose. But without that preparation, there is no purpose. You know, when Joseph had his dreams... I guarantee you when his brother sold him into slavery, he didn't go, yeah, it's about time this thing started coming to pass. I guarantee you, he didn't do that. 
and we was thrown in the prison and he, he asked, you know, the baker and the, uh, the cupbearer, you know, the cupbearer was restored and said, Hey, remember me to Pharaoh. You know, I did this, I did this good deed for you. Please remember me to Pharaoh. And of course, who? Joseph, who? I don't know. Another two years go by. Well, Joseph's still in prison. The word is very clear that Joseph was faithful and that the Lord was with him. But there is no doubt in my mind. It does not say this in the word, but there's no doubt in my mind. First of all, Joseph is a man, okay? Just like us. There's no doubt in my mind he had doubts in his head. There's no doubt in my mind he dealt with fear. During however many years it was. And in that time, he had a choice. Is the fear going to dictate my attitude and my actions or is the Lord? And it was clear in the word, he allowed the Lord to dictate his attitude and actions. Because there's no way the jailer would have put the entire jail under his care if he was allowing fear or bitterness or resentment or anger to dictate his attitude and actions. And when the Lord saw he was ready, all it took was giving Pharaoh a bad dream for him to be delivered. That's all it took. God gave Pharaoh a bad dream and Joseph was delivered and placed as prince of Egypt. But all those years of preparation were required in order to get him there. Sometimes in our lives, we don't realize that God is putting through, putting us through a preparation period and that the very thing we want to get out of is the thing that's going to get out of us what God needs to get out of us in order to put us in position. It's the thing that will position us for purpose. It's what God is using to make a way where we see no way. But how do you know you really don't? That's where obedience comes in. How does God make a way? He makes a way when you're obedient. You don't need to know how. You just need to obey. That's it. When you obey, you position yourself to walk in the way that God is making in order to make a river in the desert and a way in the wilderness in your life, but not just for you, but for those around you and together as the church to make a way for the kingdom to advance and for others around us to know there's a God in heaven who loves them. There's a gospel that can save them. Because right now, this world is in a desert. This world is in a wilderness and they need a way. And we've been given that way. And that's through obedience. And if we will obey, God will position you and me individually and corporately to be right in the way when this next move comes. Because it's coming quickly. It is coming quickly. It's up to us whether we want to be involved or not. We can be right in the middle of it or we can be on the sidelines watching and going, wow, that's kind of cool. I wish it was over there. It's up to us where we are positioned when it comes because it is coming. So I encourage you with this word to remember not the former things nor consider the things of old. Behold, the Lord is doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? He will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Let's stand So tonight, I challenge you. I don't know what, what the Lord's speaking to you about. I don't know what areas in your life that are former things that the Lord wants to deliver you of. No doubt that the Holy Spirit brought some of those things to mind tonight. And that's great. That's really good because that's revelation. Don't let the enemy use it to condemn you because it's not a commentary on your worth. The only commentary on your worth is the gospel. 
That's it. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You are righteous in his sight if you're walking in the truth of Jesus Christ. So if there's any revelation tonight, I encourage you to ask the Lord how you can obey in walking through it, walking out of it, forgetting the former things, grabbing hold of the new thing so that God can make a way in the wilderness. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, I just thank you tonight for these people. Lord, I thank you for the presence of your spirit. Lord, I pray for each and every person tonight, Lord. I pray for a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you, of your ways, and how much you love us. So, Lord, I pray that each and every one of us, Lord, would allow you to reveal those things that need to be revealed. That you could deliver us of the former things in order to do the new thing. And in that, Father, we each tonight, Father, I pray that each and every person right now would recommit themselves to your mission, to the mission of the kingdom. And that regardless of the cost, regardless of the sacrifice, regardless of the difficulty, Father, that we just recommit right now and say, here am I. Send me, Lord. For the joy set before us, the joy of being with you in eternity, we willingly lay down our lives right now and say, here am I. Send me. I want to be on mission with you. I want to advance your kingdom. I want to be on the front lines right in the middle of this next move. I don't want to be on the sideline watching everybody else do it. So, Lord, I thank you tonight for each and every person. I pray a blessing on them. And, Lord, I pray that they would intentionally position themselves to hear from you. And as they do that, Lord, I pray that you would speak a word of hope, a word of peace, a word of revelation, a word of deliverance and healing. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Give the Lord a hand tonight.